What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rose, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry of the Cats Paws. Derek, how are you? You know, Sean, I'm doing well. Uh, Seems like this week has gone by quicker to me. Like I just, I got up this morning and was doing some things, and then realized it's college football Saturday tomorrow. So I don't know if I've already gotten into that routine of uh, the season <laughs> or or what, but. Probably a little little less excitement for me this upcoming week uh, to get back out there. I don't know if it's the rain or what, but I, I, how are you feeling about that? I don't know. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't share that uh, with me, but maybe a little less. Uh, yeah, excitement. I guess is the right word. I'm, well, I'm feeling really excited because I did have another buffalo chicken sandwich from the butcher's pub right before we started recording this episode today. Derek, I ordered takeout. From the pub, there's two locations, one in Pineville, Kentucky, one in Williamsburg, Kentucky. Get out there this weekend. I promise you, if Kentucky loses the Mississippi State tomorrow night, you'll feel better if you watch it at the Butcher's Pub because you'll forget all about it before you get home because the food is delicious, the wings are delicious, got all those drink options. So get out to those two locations. But, Derek, you asked me how I'm feeling. I'm feeling pretty good. I'm uh, I'm excited for another college football Saturday. I'm excited to see how this matchup plays out. I mean, you have Mike Leach, who – sort of got this air raid thing going in the SEC with how mommy in the late 90s and now would you ever think I grew up watching that that's that was my first year as a UK football follower and fan was 98 it was Couch's final season and they're throwing it all over the field I don't I didn't even know the running back was an option my first year as a Kentucky football fan. And now you watch Kentucky with a ground and pound team. So it's, it's crazy to think how polar opposite these two offenses are. And at one time, the fans at Kroger field, then Conwell stadium, were watching the ball being slung around by UK jerseys. Now it's Mississippi state. It is a, it is a cool game. I think from a national perspective where people um, who've covered the sport for a long time will, at least at the FBS level, you know, the the air raid was born in Lexington. I know they had Hal Mommy and Mike Leach and those guys. I'd use it at other schools, but, you know, nobody was really watching Valdosta State back in the 90s. I mean, Kentucky and the SEC was really popularized it. And, uh, you know, that is cool from that aspect. Leach coming back to Lexington, I don't think he's – he's definitely not coached a game on the opposite mm-hmm. sidelines. So he'll be coming back. I'm sure he has some fond memories of his time in Lexington and it will be a cool thing. Um, I think it definitely, you know, the air aid, it was before my time, barely, but you know what they did in Lexington. And I think I read in that ESPN story, Sean, that six coaches or players from that UK team have gone on to be head coaches in college. So uh, it's, it's a thing that has stuck around and, and a lot of schools have been interested in it. And, um, some, some very good head coaches have, have come from the system. And we're going to take this back 
22, 23 years. How Mummy is going to join us on this episode in the middle of this episode. So we're going to make our picks for the SEC slate this week, and then we'll make our predictions for Kentucky, Mississippi State. And then How Mummy is going to join us for a segment to talk about Mike Leach and their career at Kentucky, how Mike has sort of has Mike evolved any since those late 90s to now. And uh, you're going to ask about the beef jerky that, you know, John Hill wrote about in the Career Journal. We you, you actually teased that and previewed that story earlier in the week. So you're going to ask about that. But I'm excited to talk to Mummy. Yeah, I am too. I've spoken to Hal once before under uh, sad circumstances. It was after the passing of Jared Lorenzen. But, uh, you know, Hal was someone who, and we'll probably ask him about this, but probably helped bring a lot of excitement to a Kentucky football program that had just basically been dead for the whole decade of the nineties. And he, he walked into a situation. I mean, no, Kentucky's football program didn't turn into, you know, some great team in the SEC, but you know, they won seven games, made it to a bowl game in 1998. Um, Tim Couch, number one pick. I mean, think of that now, Sean. I mean, the number yeah. one pick. From Kentucky, I mean, you, that's that's a big deal for for schools to be able to use. And he was a Heisman finalist. You know, they've not had one of those since. They've really, I mean, I know for Benny Snell and Andre Woodson at times there was maybe a small Heisman campaign, but both of those kind of tapered off. Um, probably for some fans, I would guess, still some of the most exciting times I've ever had watching Kentucky football was that era. Absolutely, and and two, that era was just it was so different. For me, like as a fan growing up, is because those were my early days of football. Derek, that stadium, it was full. There were seventy thousand people at Commonwealth Stadium every Saturday. I didn't, regardless of if Kentucky was two and ten or seven and five, there were that place was full. Uh, I remember going through McDonald's drive-throughs. So some of you older listeners, you might remember this. They McDonald's sponsor of UK Athletics then. And they had the Air Raid Cups, Derek. I don't know if we ever got to see these or not. It had the Air Raid UK logo on there. And I just remember, like, the football schedules. You'd get them at McDonald's back then. Uh, How Mummy and those three or four years he was in Lexington, it's a, it's a big part of my connection and my roots personally to the University of Kentucky and following football. So, And like you said, I've talked to him a few times. He's He's always gotten back to me for a quote under, it seems like, Really sad circumstance, sad, sad situations, uh, the passing of Quentin McCord and the passing of Jared Lorenzen. But I'm looking forward to getting him on here and just uh, letting him just tell stories, Derek. If there's stories of Leach, maybe there's stories we've never heard. He might put something out here. Well, I, you know, we got to find out about Hal's rehab, too. Hal sustained an injury. That might have been the last time you guys heard about Hal Mommy. He uh, was injured, broke his leg on the sidelines of an XFL game, got hit by uh, running back, going to the sidelines, and I mean, anytime you get a coach put on the injured reserve, you know, something bad happened. But uh, it they like, weren't passing it to the running back, Derek. They, they weren't handed off to the running yeah. back. Yeah, I mean, he's been <laughs> on the golf course, it sounds like. So I think his leg must be doing pretty well. But, uh, man, that's a rough rough time to to be down there getting back. But <laughs> XFL believes set to have a comeback. I don't know if what health plans will be. Maybe we can ask yeah. him about that. I don't know if it'll be this upcoming year or 22 one of those years but uh either way that was something fun to have during the, the spring um it was kind of well, college basketball it's only thing going on because it was even pre-baseball so and he was with bob stoops so yeah. and he was the stoops connection there but we're going to ask him all about that we're going to ask him about his time at kentucky well i want to get his thoughts on the program now and you know if he feels like his years 
played a part into some of the fan interest and the the updates to the stadium. You know, Rich Brooks called for those updates and those upgrades, and they just didn't happen. Uh, do those things happen without how Mummy sort of reviving the program just as far as a fan interest? Like even when they weren't winning, Derek, when they were losing to Florida 50-something to 30-something, you were watching because you felt like they were going to throw a 80-yard touchdown pass on the next play. It was it. Those were fun days. Uh, but we're going to talk about all that. But before we get into that, we have to make our predictions. And, Derek, I need a good week. Uh, I might – if one more bad week, and I think I could run the table and still lose. <laughs> uh, well, last week, I believe the calculations, again, it was the same record as the week before. I went 5-2. and two, You went 4-3. and three. Common thread both weeks. We've both picked, picked Kentucky wins. They have lost, obviously. Um, and there's been some swing games. Last week, changing my pick from Auburn to Georgia helped me take ahead but interesting week ahead Sean looking at the schedule uh we'll go through these games I think we'll probably be on the same page for some I see two games with a chance for us to go the other way but let's start off um just one of the two ranked matches this week in the SEC is number four Florida going to Texas A&M that will be a noon kickoff at uh eastern time but an 11 a.m central kickoff over in uh, Aggieland so A&M's coming off a beat down from Alabama on the road, and then Florida, of course, um, beat South Carolina last weekend. So, Sean, who are you going with in this game? I'll go Florida. I just uh, I don't think Jimbo and Texas A&M get it done. I think uh, Kyle Trask, that offense, too much to handle. I'll go Florida. I'm with you. Pretty cool backstory there, too. Kyle Trask is actually named after Kyle Field. His parents both went to Texas A&M, so – he might come into that game. Uh, I mean, those games could go either way, you know. I mean, sometimes guys are too hyped up to go back to a place where they grew up. But uh, Trask is pretty much every game he's played at Florida. He's been very good. So I got to think uh, he'll continue that play. And then two other noon games, actually. So pretty heavy early slate. Um, you got Missouri at LSU. Well, it's supposed to be at LSU. That game's actually been moved to Missouri. Do you think that will matter? I do. I don't think it'll matter enough, but I do think that this game will be close. I think, honestly, I'm I'm picking LSU, but I'm circling this game, Derek, because LSU's already been through a lot. They they got embarrassed pretty much. By, yes, it was a close game, but the way Mississippi State just torched them defensively with with their passing attack, this is and then you're moving midweek. You're taking your team. You thought you had a home game. And now you're going to Columbia, Missouri, a place where nobody on your staff has ever been. As far as I know, I know this is LSU's first trip there, unless some of these coaches in past years have been somewhere or have been to Maybe. Columbia for. Really, I don't remember the year he got there. Maybe Missouri was still in the Big Twelve though, back then. We know none of the players have. Right, so right. It's yeah. new to them too. So I think that this could be a sneaky game. I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if Missouri beats LSU. But I, I'm going to go LSU in a close one. I'm going to say maybe by a touchdown. I'd be pretty surprised if Missouri won. Uh, I just I just don't think they're very talented this year. Um, I'm with you. LSU is is not. I, I think they're going to struggle a little bit this year, just with all that they lost in the schedule. But I agree with you. This this should be a win for them. And then the other game at noon is on the SEC Network. South Carolina looking for its first win. Both these teams actually looking for its uh, their first win. And Vanderbilt is going to be hosting South Carolina. I'll go ahead and pick first. I'm going to stay on the 0-10 train for Vanderbilt. So I'm going to say Will Muschamp gets the job done this weekend. He can smile about something. It'll be 
They'll be partying in one Columbia while the other one's not because uh, South Carolina is beating Vandy. Did you see uh, the quote? Uh, it's basically just Will Muschamp's call-in show. I can't remember what they call it, but the fan asked him if he and his staff had considered wearing ski masks because uh, <laughs> he's stealing money from the AD, basically, was the quote. <laughs> so, uh <laughs> no. They, yeah, taking the temperature down there. Uh, things aren't Ooh. good for all most champ. But maybe uh, whenever Vanderbilt will certainly not really excite too many people. But, uh, man, that temperature is going to get turned way up if they don't find a way to win that game. So it's that leads us into uh, – or go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, if he loses this one, it'll be more than just the South Carolina heat from down there. Because yeah. it'll be uh, – it might be a see you later, pal. Because if he loses to Vandy, they might not win one game. Yeah, it's probably all she wrote if uh, they lose to Vanderbilt. Any team that loses to Vandy, uh, pretty good indicator that your program's not in a great state. But, uh, and I'll, I'll ask tomorrow. Okay, go ahead. Oh, well, I was going to say, Derek, Tennessee fans believe they're back. They believe it's 98. So while it may feel like 98 degrees in Will Muschamp's seat, it is not 98 degrees in Knoxville. T- Georgia's winning that game. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um going to be a wet game down there. Uh, we were just in Georgia last year. I don't know how many games they played in the rain last year, but different situation. Uh, Georgia, they got a new coordinator this year. Quite a bit different personnel as well. So didn't think Georgia played that good in the rain last year against Kentucky, but I see this being a low-scoring, pretty physical game, but I've got to go with you. However, Sean, let's go and bring up a scenario. If Tennessee does win this game, they got Kentucky the following week, and then Alabama after that. Do you think that puts Kentucky? And that's just for for discussions. Like let's say Kentucky loses to Mississippi State. If if an zero three team goes into Knoxville, and Tennessee's riding that high from beating Georgia, and they got Alabama the next week, are we talking trap game, or are we saying Kentucky's done if they start off on three? I don't know if I'll ever call any game a trap game when it involves Kentucky and Tennessee because. I'm convinced that when it's in Knoxville, Derek, that Tennessee couldn't show up and somehow the scoreboard would read Tennessee 31, Kentucky 30. Uh, but, no, I do I do think so because when you've beaten a team that many years at your stadium, I don't care even though these guys weren't alive when the streak started in Knoxville, you go get these big wins, you beat Georgia, and then you get Kentucky – even if they come in one and two, does it really change how much attention they're putting on Kentucky one and two, zero oh and three Kentucky? If Tennessee's three and zero, oh, feels like ninety eight again. Jeremy Pruitt's got them thinking SEC's title, and then you go, then you play Alabama. If any year is a trap game, it's this one because I'll tell you this: when Kentucky went there two years ago in two thousand eighteen, any Kentucky team would have lost that game given the eight to nine weeks prior to that because that was literally just a letdown. That was a better Kentucky team, and uh, Tennessee looked like the better team by three or four scores that day. Yeah, it was uh, by far the worst game that 2018 team played. Um, I think the logic's there for it to be a trap game, uh, win or lose for Kentucky, uh, just because Tennessee's mind just completely goes to win in the SEC East at that point. If you beat Georgia, you're going to be in that kind of – range where it's still they have a tough schedule though I think that's somebody Tennessee's problem even if they do win it's going to be hard to go 10 straight weeks with the schedule they have still have to play A&M they got to play Alabama um Auburn as well I don't know how good Auburn really is uh, these next 
yeah, the, these next two or three weeks are huge for them as a program. Like if if you're if listen, Tennessee fans, ten years from now, we'll still even if we're in the same repetitive situation where they'll have a non-win season and they'll have a couple seasons. Uh, they're always going to think it's 98. Just like if you go Kentucky basketball, I think Kentucky basketball fans are always going to believe that they, even if they struggled, even during those tubby days, I still felt like Kentucky basketball was elite in my mind. I know Tennessee fans have always felt like that. But these next three weeks is where you show it. Do you have enough to beat Georgia? Do you answer the bell and beat Kentucky and then play Alabama? This is this is Jeremy Pruitt's opportunity to show are we here or are we still just – a mediocre Tennessee team in the SEC East. Yeah, that's that's going to be the game that I'm going to have my eye on. I'll get to watch a little bit of that before I head over to Kroger Field. But uh, moving on, probably the rest of the slate is not too appealing. So we'll go Arkansas at Auburn. I'm going to take Auburn. Uh, I'm going to take Auburn, but I I don't think Auburn. I don't know. I know I said after they beat Kentucky that I thought they'd compete with um, Alabama as one of those teams. In the West, I'm starting to think nobody in the West is really that good, though, besides Alabama. So I want to see one more week of this. It'd be a big statement for Auburn to come out and and really crush Arkansas. But Arkansas is feeling pretty good. Just got its first win out of 20 SEC tries. I I think this is going to be a ball game. Well, this is where we'll be different. Um, And, yes, if you listen to the Between Two Athletes podcast, I picked Auburn, but I didn't feel great about it. And the more this day has gone by, Derek, I wish I could change that pick because I honestly, I don't think Auburn's that great. I really don't. I just, that's the feeling I get. I, I thought Jacob Pester said it best yesterday. Kentucky was the better team the day they played Auburn. Kentucky just shot themselves in the foot. Well, then last week, Auburn doesn't even belong on the same planet as Georgia. I mean, that offense, they didn't even look half as what they did against Kentucky. So I just... I believe in you, Pittman. I believe in you. I'm going Arkansas on this one. Pig suey, Razorbacks. So that could be a that's a high risk, high reward type pick for you that uh, could get you back into this thing, depending on how the slate goes. But then you got a pair of 7:30 games. Obviously, Kentucky and Mississippi State. But the other game, uh, Alabama at Ole Miss. I am actually going to put a score on this game, Sean. I'm going to say Alabama. I, I don't know what the weather's going to be down there. That, that throws a wrench in there, I guess. I should have looked that up before I went off spewing this stuff. I'm going to say Alabama 49, Ole Miss 28. I think Ole Miss, I think 28 points against uh, Alabama is pretty good. But uh, if the weather's all clear, I don't know if it is going to be, Alabama could actually score more than that. Alabama might not have to punt. Should I, up it? Should I say 56, 28? Go for 70. Alabama will have every bit of 35 to 40 points at halftime in my opinion I, I really think that uh, Lane Kiffin he, he has those rings to look at and stuff and all those wins from his time at Alabama but his uh, his memories he's going to have to hold on to those because this one's not going to be a good one for him I'm going to say at some point in this game, Alabama's up by 40 points. And I might see some late touchdowns to get to that score that I said. I, I can't imagine that the style at Ole Miss plays. Um, I think Alabama's defense is, is better for sure than Florida and Kentucky's. So 
you know, those quick drives that maybe worked against Kentucky and Ole Miss and Florida, those quick hitters. Now, if, if Ole Miss does that against Alabama, then that offense is legit. I think it's a really good offense anyway. I mean, against most teams, they're gonna have, they're gonna be able to put up points, but I just don't think uh, I don't think this is a very good matchup for Ole Miss or any team really for that matter that plays against Alabama. It, but uh, uh, we'll say though, in the Hugh Freeze era, this was like the thorn in the side for. Uh, Nick Saban, Mike Freeze, and Ole Miss. How many years in a row did Ole Miss beat them? I think two. Two, two years, years, yeah. A couple times, yeah. But the the matchup everybody wants to know about Derek is Kentucky Mississippi State 7:30 p.m. Eastern time kick from Kroger Field on the SEC Network with Tom Hart, Jordan Rogers, and Cole Kublick on the call. So that SEC Saturday Night crew, they're making another appearance at a UK game. Is this one different than the first one at Auburn? I'm going to go Kentucky 27, Mississippi State 21. I think the weather, I think there will be enough rain, Derek, in the forecast, and I think Kentucky's defense will answer the bell. And if they burn me this time, I don't think I'll ever pick them again. <laughs> this is a really hard game to pick because if the, weather, if the weather is a significant factor, then I think you got to lean Kentucky despite the 0-2 start. Just because I think you're taking out the weakest part of Kentucky's team right now, and it's what I, mean, I would probably say the secondary, just the defense as a whole has struggled. I think it would kind of throw Mississippi State off from what it wants to do. And if that's the case, Kentucky has, has shown it's pretty pretty good in those games where they played in the rain. Um, so with that in mind, it's, that's why it's tricky. Because if the weather's not as big of a factor, then I think it's – at this point, I don't know how you can look at it as anything other than a horrible matchup for a team that's really struggling right now on defense. So keeping up with the theme that I've done in recent weeks, um, this week we'll have two separate picks. I'm going to take Mississippi State in this game. Um, although, and this is no fun, I get it. I really can see it going both places. I think Kentucky is generally the last few years anyway under Stoops. They've really found a way to to win this game, particularly at home. Yeah. But uh, anytime their back has been up against the wall, they've answered the bell. And I think if it's a motivated team, I could see them coming out and getting that victory. But uh, I'm going to take Mississippi State in a close game, maybe another heart-wrenching game for Kentucky. Chris Doring has Kentucky winning 33-28. to 28. And looking looking at Doring's picks, he has Arkansas beating Auburn 23-20. to 20. So, Chris, I might be, I'm going to be texting Chris Saturday and be like, uh, we didn't – by the way, we didn't plan this, but he does. He has Florida beating Texas A&M 34-31, LSU beating Missouri 37-23, South Carolina 26-17, Georgia 31-21 over Tennessee, and then your game, talking about Bama, he has them 45-26. to Such strange scores from Chris. I'd like to get his rationale. <laughs> I would too because uh, I'm going to text him. I'm going to send him this. And I'm going to be like, so what went into this? <laughs> I'll just uh, say, uh, not going to be popular, I guess, on this podcast. But uh, no matter if Kentucky win or lose, there's no way in hell I'm picking them to beat Tennessee next week. And, uh, I'm not Is gonna anyone, No, I don't no. know. We're going three straight weeks for me. Uh, I can already tell you way out in advance that I'm picking Kentucky to lose three straight right here. Uh, but before you guys crucify me, I did pick them to win the first two games. Uh, and they lost both of them, so don't get mad at me. Or, uh, Maybe you know, you're the reason. Maybe they maybe that's what it is. Maybe it'll flip in favor. Uh, I hate Tennessee, Derek. You know that. Like, there's only one program in the country that I just can't stand, and it's Tennessee. Even as a media person, I'll tell you, I can't stand them. <laughs> just, but, 
no. I, no, I think you, right. there's one thing you can't pick with emotion because Tennessee has just – they've taken care of business my entire lifetime other than two times. But I will say this. One of those times was very weird and random, and this year has been very weird and random. And why not get a little weirder and let Kentucky win in Knoxville? That would be the ultimate 2020 in a nutshell if Kentucky goes to Knoxville and wins. It does feel very 2020, something like that happening. Uh, it would be it would be funny, I think, uh, if, if Tennessee beat Georgia this weekend and Kentucky somehow beat them next weekend. I do think it would be funny to kind of see that fan base lose their minds again because, I mean, you know, the talk, they beat Georgia this weekend. It's all going to be about how they're back. And no one in Knoxville is going to be thinking twice about beating Kentucky because they always beat Kentucky. If you're a Tennessee fan and you're like 35 years old, you've never seen – your team lose to Kentucky at home. Like that's a pretty strong reason to not really worry too much about this game. I totally get it. So uh, we'll talk about that more next week though. We'll be able to dive into how that game looks. I should yeah. be able to watch most of it. I'll probably have that one pulled up in the, and I'm sure that'd be in the press room. So we'll be able to watch a little bit of that and, one. And this episode is super long. I, I, I'm sorry that this episode's longer, but we've given you some odd times this week. We've been posting late in the evening due to some, you know, personal schedules and just not being able to record early in the day. So you're getting a very solid episode today. So the first half of this, we covered the sec slate. The middle will be an interview with Hal mummy. And then in the back end, we're going to answer the mailbag questions, but you're listening to Kentucky daily. We'll be back with more right after this. Call Bryant Law, 261-7381. This is the attorney, Jeremy Bryant. Have you been injured at work in the last 24 months? Contact Bryant Law. We want you to understand that every dime an insurance company keeps from you is another one they keep in their pocket. You're entitled to just compensation. So don't let the insurance company tell you what's proper. After all, you're the one who has been injured on the job. I'll evaluate your case and tell you the truth. Call Bryant Law in Corbin and get what you deserve. Visit online at jeremybryantlaw.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Kentucky Daily, as now we're joined by former University of Kentucky football coach Hal Mummy. Coach, thanks for joining us. No problem, Sean. Derek, good to see you guys. Good to see you. Uh, Hal, this weekend in Lexington, it's it's going to be it's going back to where the air raid really had its roots at Kentucky with Michael Leach coming to town. Is it uh, is it kind of weird to see that the air raid's on the opposite end of the field now, though, the opposite sideline and not on the Kentucky sideline? Miracles never cease, do they? <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it is kind of strange looking. I can remember when we used to play those guys. They had Jackie Sherrill always had huge backs, and he was going to pound you, pound the daylights out of you with those guys and uh, we had some great games with them but now it's it's the roles are kind of flipped well uh obviously i was reading an espn story earlier this week about you know mike and it sounded like he was coaching overseas at one point uh when you hired him is that right he's in finland or wherever he was coaching at college of the desert when i hired him but he had been approached by pori finland to come over in the spring and the summer and coach their their American football team. So he asked if he could do that and then show up for work around the 1st of August. And so I agreed to it, and he got a good chance to be a, you know, just anytime you can be a head coach, it's a good thing. It's a good experience. Yeah, obviously part of the um, 
I guess, a pill for fans with Mike is just he's, he's so much different than most college football coaches. His press conferences are different. His interests seem to be much different uh, than other coaches. So I guess to take us all the way back to how you got connected with him and was he the same guy then as he is now? Oh, yeah, he was the same guy. I mean, it's with Mike, it's what you see is what you get. I mean, it's, but uh, we got connected when I went to Iowa Wesleyan. He sent me a resume, and and Iowa Wesleyan was such a bad job that nobody wanted it. That's why they they went to Texas to hire a high school coach because they couldn't hire an Iowa high school coach. And uh, I only got two resumes in the mail. One of them was Mike Leach's, and I needed an offensive line coach. And I had come to the conclusion after this is you got to remember this is 1989 now. If you were interviewing an offensive line coach and told him you wanted him to have big splits, play in a two-point stance, we're going to throw the ball 50 times a game, he's probably going to get out and walk walk out of the room some point at some point in that conversation. And that's exactly what had happened to me. So by the time I got up there, I decided I was just going to hire somebody really smart that would do things the way uh, we did. And the first thing that stood out to me on his resume was that he had a law degree from Pepperdine. So I knew I knew he was smart. And uh we started having these conversations, and, and uh, I liked him, and, and we got him over there, and he did a tremendous job, and we worked together for 10 years. How looking at this air raid offense, has it evolved since those days at Kentucky? Is there Are there a lot of differences in it now, or is it pretty much the same thing? It's pretty much the same thing with, with the one exception. You saw it last night if you watched Houston. Uh, Dana Holgerson played for us at I Wesley and then coached with us at Valdosta State. And then, of course, he coached with Mike for a long time. And when he finally got a big break and Kevin Sumlin hired him to be the OC at, at Houston, uh, he really quantified or, or packaged up the run game and the screen game together and what people now call RPOs. Um, and that, that, was a, that was a great innovation for our offense because before that, uh, you know, we, we would have two or three pretty simple run plays, and it was mainly just obviously going to be the draw, <laughs> various ways to run the draw. And uh, But as far as having a really a, a run game that you could depend on, well, year in and year out, it was pretty much just based on what the back could do. Uh, it wasn't based on a system. And Dana, Dana kind of added that to a system, so I, I always give him credit for that. In the ESPN story I read, you – talked about how when Bob Stoops, who obviously was at Florida, was the defensive coordinator for some of the years you were at Kentucky, whenever he got the Oklahoma job, he approached you about hiring Mike. But you, you really wanted to make sure that he wasn't doing it just to hire somebody from Kentucky since Kentucky was kind of a hot school in terms of offense at that time. But uh, I, I know you said something about him branching out and being on his own. Why did you think it was so important for him to uh, well, get away from you for those times? We had been together for 10 years, and I'd watched Mike grow, and he'd coached every part of this offense because he had got Morris kind of traded off coaching the O-line. When Guy would leave, Mike would coach the O-line. When Guy wasn't there, then, then, then Mike would coach the quarterbacks and receivers. So he'd been trying to get head coaching jobs, and I, I could give you a laundry list of the obscure schools that turned down Mike Leach. <laughs> And it would be pretty funny at this point. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna name them, but but the, you would be shocked. Uh, and I just thought, it, you know, usually it came down to okay, well, who calls the plays? You're Coach Mummy, and and uh, you know, the truth of the matter is, when we're really rock and roll, and the quarterback's calling most of them. And so, 
I just thought it would be good for him at that point after I, I didn't want to lose him, but Bob offered him such a great opportunity because Bob was a defensive guy. He was going to let him run our offense uh, the way he wanted to. And it, and it was OU. I mean, <laughs> they were going to get players. How when you got to the SEC, you know, Steve Spurrier was throwing the ball around, but then you all put the air raid offense into effect. How did that change the culture in the league? Because now you see Dan Mullen throwing around, Lane Kiffin's there, now Michael Leach himself's there. How, how did it change the culture in that in the league there? I think it, it changed all of football, maybe before it changed the league. Uh, you know, really what happened that first year is after we beat Alabama, high school coaches from Alabama and Texas and uh, the, pretty much the South started pouring into Lexington to learn what we were doing. And they developed these quarterbacks that, you know, from the ground up, all of a sudden you didn't have to – in the old days you had to pick a thrower or a runner at quarterback. You didn't have to have – you know, you couldn't have both. You either had a real athletic guy who probably couldn't throw or you had a, a – guy who was kind of a statue back there uh, trying to be an NFL-type passer. So I think the high school coaches deserve the credit for that because they, they took and they started doing this, and it was so popular that a lot of great athletes started wanting to stay and play football instead of maybe migrate to basketball or soccer or something. And so I, I think that was the beginnings of it. And, the, and what you see in the SEC now is just the fruition of, of being able to take advantage of those players. Depending on uh, which forecast you look at for tomorrow, uh, it, it might be a downpour or it might uh, might be kind of spotty showers. But I was just curious uh, from someone who invented this offense, what are some of the biggest challenges in, in making a game plan when you know you might have some uh, some bad weather in the forecast? We never worried about rain much. Uh, wind is, is the more damaging deal. So I always look to see if the wind was more than 30 miles an hour, we knew we were going to have to make a do a lot of adjusting. Uh, if it was less than 30 miles an hour, we're probably okay. Uh, rain, unless it just turns into a, you know, a, a Noah's Ark flood, it uh, really doesn't bother us that much. How looking back on your time at Kentucky, uh, the first year that I was a fan of the program was '98. Tim Tim's last year there, yeah. and when you looked at that stadium, it was full every single Saturday. It was packed out. Yeah. And then you look at where the program's at today and the fan interest. Do you feel that the air raid added some electricity to the Kentucky football program that is still being – it's carried over to some fan support and interest in the program today? The great Sam Newton said it best. After we beat Alabama that first year, he went straight to the legislature and got the money to expand the stadium. He said, we've been trying to do this for 25 years. And this is the first time they've been excited enough to do it. And so we got the stadium expansion done. Um, I, you know, Coach Newton was a great man and a great athletic director, and he he took a chance on a guy from Division Two, and and uh, who had this kind of at that point very uh, questionable offense. <laughs> Everywhere we went, we were always told it wouldn't work, and. Uh, but he he saw the he saw the benefits of it and he liked the idea of of uh, kind of being you know Rick Patino on grass you know uh, run run press and shoot threes on grass so uh, that that was I think that's what what sold him on it and of course we had Tim Couch which was a 
a great talent. And we had some other talents too, Craig Yeast and Kevin Coleman, a lot of good guys, uh, Anthony White. Now you've continued to coach um, all these years, so I don't know how much you've been able to keep up with other colleges. Or, as I know you've coached in college, you've coached in the XFL, all these things. Um, have you had a chance much to kind of keep up with the UK and maybe from afar, what have you kind of thought about how the program is now compared to 20 so years ago when you were there? I don't really keep up with the football as much. I keep up with a lot of the people that are still there, Jim Madalino and Mark Hill, and, uh, you know, Tom Kalinowski, people like that. Um, I, I hear from them, you know, on, on, on occasion. And uh, we talk about what's going on, but I, I don't really get a chance to, uh, since I've been doing, doing our own thing someplace else, it's hard to follow. Um, but I know coach Stoops is doing a great job. You know, obviously they're, they're, they're a different style than we were, but they're, they're really a good football team. Yeah. Last thing I have for you, Hal, is when I saw in the news earlier this year, you had a accident on the sidelines, uh, you broke your leg, I believe. How, how have you been healing up from that? And just, can you tell us a little bit about, your XFL experience, uh, how much fun you had doing that? Well, it was a lot of fun. Like, like most, most everybody in this nation, the, the, the China virus <laughs> grounded to a halt there, but, uh, it was, uh, we were, we were having a lot of fun and, and I think it, we, we kind of proved the product. And of course now they've got new ownership. They've been bought out of bankruptcy. So, uh, hopefully they'll make a comeback, but it was a lot of fun to do. Yeah. I, I gotta just get, uh, I got to get a little quicker on the sidelines there. I just kind of zigged when I should have zagged right there, and he hit me from behind. It, it burst that. Uh, there's a sack underneath your uh, kneecap that's fluid sack, and it's called a bursa sack. And so that broke, and I felt it break when I hit the ground. I, I didn't know it was fractured, but I didn't know that the bursa sack had broke. So we kind of survived the rest of that game against June Jones. Unfortunately, we lost right at the end. Uh, Made a nice comeback and then couldn't quite get it done at the end. But it it was XFL was fun. I think they had some unique rules that probably people need to look at, and uh, they've had some uh, some things I think our fans liked a lot. I'll I'll wrap up by asking you. You, you just got off the golf course, so how's the golf game? Well, my my legs healed up enough for that, so that's a good thing. It's uh it's just as mediocre as it's always been, <laughs> but <laughs> I can still hit it. Same here for us, <laughs> but uh, Hal, we we really appreciate you taking some time to join us. And what will be a fun game in Lexington tomorrow with Michael Leach coming back to town? I'm looking forward to. It. I'll be watching. I appreciate you guys having me on. He's Hal Mummy, and you're listening to Kentucky Daily. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome back, everyone, to Kentucky Daily. Derek, let's go ahead and start our mailbag segment, and it's a busy, busy mailbag. So our first question came via DM. It's from Dylan Barnett. He says, who in Kentucky's defense forces the first turnover of the season, and does it come this week against Mississippi State? Derek, I believe that's the uh, the question everybody's been kind of wanting to know. Will Will this defense finally get a takeaway? Hard to say. Um, I, I would think I would think so. Mississippi State's been a bit turnover prone at times. Um, even against LSU, they had a few. So I do think it'll come this weekend. As to who the player is, uh, it's, it's, that's a tough thing to to decide. 
Um, if the weather, I mean, if the weather's poor, it could, I mean, it could be anything. It could be a slipped pass when Costello throws, or it could just be a simple handoff exchange with the team that doesn't run a ton, and maybe the ball just uh, gets loose that way and some defensive lineman falls on it. So it's hard to say for sure, but just for the sake of the question, I will say – uh, I'll go with a bit of an odd pick. I'll say DeAndre Square down with an interception uh, out in the flat or something, somewhere where he's covering the pick. But I actually think if the weather's poor and that remains to be seen how bad it will be, I think there's a chance for, for multiple takeaways for Kentucky. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think I was going to go, if the weather's poor, I was actually going to go with that linebacking group to uh, – maybe get the turnover because I feel like that they're they're always near the ball. Uh, the secondary hasn't been near the ball, but you would think it's they probably Derek if they might run into one on their own honestly Saturday night. Just the way Mississippi, as much as Mississippi State throws the ball, you the chances of an interception have to to go up. I'm going to go Kelvin Joseph gets a pick. I'm going to say he makes a play, uh which we know he needs to and the fans definitely want to see him make a play, so that's my pick. Is Kelvin Joseph with with an interception? I think that's a solid choice. Um, Sean, you got these questions pulled up. I need to get to them. If you want to ask the next one, I'll actually I got it pulled up right here. Uh, and this was for nine minutes ago, and uh, we're gonna stay kind of on the same topic here. It's from David Wood. He says, "Why is the defense not playing up to preseason expectations? No real pass rush and secondary getting torched the first two games." So, Sean, put on your coaching hat and tell us why it's not going well. Well, secondary definitely has been the problem. The pass rush to me, Derek, they didn't really have many opportunities at Auburn because it was out of Nick's hand so quickly. It was those quick throws, those screen plays. I don't really, I didn't really look at the pass rush a lot in that game. Saturday, I thought they had multiple opportunities to to, to make a quarterback sack, but Corral just had some wiggle to him and got away and kept some plays alive. Uh, I think they'll start finishing those plays this week, though. I think that they'll be able to get some plays and take the quarterback down and get get some more pass rush. How do you see that playing out? Well, I thought Auburn, just the way that game plan was, it was set up with quick passes. I don't think it really lent itself to a pass rush. And then I actually think I didn't get a chance to watch the full game again. But I'm kind of with you. Like I, I think last week's like no pass rush thing is a little bit overblown, simply because I think Corral made some plays that a less mobile quarterback. I mean, Kentucky might have had. I'm not even exaggerating. I think Kentucky might have had three sacks a few, uh, last week with a quarterback that wasn't quite as mobile. I mean, Corral made multiple plays in the pocket where he got away. So I could end up being wrong, but I actually think as this year continues to go on. I don't think that's going to be as big of an issue as maybe it seems right now. Um, but I get it. Like the numbers don't suggest that they've had a great pass rush. The sack numbers aren't very good. I think Boogie got credited with one last week, and uh, McCall and Wright both had a half a sack. So for a lot of drawbacks, no, they haven't had as as many sacks as you would want to see. Um, but I think Pascal is a good pass rusher. I think Boogie is a good pass rusher. I think Weaver and Wright all have potential to be. They've all been guys in the past that have gone to the quarterback. So I think they got the personnel there to do it, and I think they will uh, as the season goes on. I, I think that's going to be less of a – such a worrisome issue compared to what it is right now. Boogie made a big play there in the fourth quarter Saturday, and 
Eric, he's a guy that we've seen in the past. He he's not very active early weeks of the season. Then he picks up steam. That that would might be a guy if he follows the same trend that this would be around the time of the year where he picks up steam. It was October last year, so uh, that'd be a guy to watch Saturday night. I think uh, staying on the same topic. Uh, who is going to step up in the secondary and take charge? That's a tough one. Yeah, I don't think it's just a one guy type thing. I mean, they all have to play better. Uh, we know that. If you're looking, I mean, any of those guys, you could say, I mean, they're all veteran guys. There's no one back there really who's playing. I'm, Vito Tisdale got some run last week. He's one of the few young guys. Taj Dobson got in there a little bit, but even he's a second-year guy. If you look at Robinson, fifth-year uh, Eccles is a senior Juco guy. Dort's been in the program four years. I mean, if you're looking for a leader, there's a bunch of Corker fourth year, Asian fourth year. I mean, everybody's everyone's pretty much a vet back there. So I don't think it's really uh, one guy's going to step up and do it. It's going to be all those guys needing to figure it out. And uh, he's right, though. I mean, Garrett's right. Someone's going to step up and, and start making some plays back there. And I don't know. I guess the question I have for you is like, one game, you don't get any turnovers. You don't play that well. Like, it's okay. It's one game. You, you saw Seth Williams. He's a great player. But then when you have the game like last week, do you worry at all that guys are going to start pressing even more? Because I think that was something Brad White was already starting to talk about needing to avoid. So I don't know if that's something the coaches are worried about or what. But I could definitely see that being a real thing. I could too, honestly. And somebody asked the question, it might have been to Stoops, that – are turnovers random in football? Was it was it Stoops that got asked that earlier in the week? I I think it I was. was. That must That's be because right. I don't remember. Okay, yeah, it was it was asked if turnovers are random, and I actually I think they are. I, I do think that they're more random, and just being in the to me, it's about being in position to make a play, and I right. feel like half of Kentucky's defense has been in position to make a play, the other half has not. Uh, they've got picked apart in the secondary, Derek, and I'm sorry. They're Kentucky's. I mean, how many pass breakups this season? Is it one? One. So you've not even been near the ball. So you, how do you expect to get turnovers on that back end if you're not even near it to even break up a pass, let alone intercept one? So that's what I look at. I feel like the front seven have they've been in position, but they've ball security. I mean, that's just been that they've not fumbled. Kentucky's put the ball on the turf a couple of times. Uh, I do think that changes though. But I'm, I'm with you. Do they start pressing? Do they? Do you get to a situation where you're too aggressive and then you're out of position trying to make plays? I guess there is a fine line between that. With that, I don't know. I agree with you. We're gonna stay uh, on the football side right here. And this is a question from a friend of mine. <laughs> we'll bring it. His name is uh, Brady Foley. Yes, first time, long time, and this is the first time Brady has entered the mailbag. But he says, could we see the Cats bring back their traditional wishbone formation mastered by high school football across eastern Kentucky since the 40s? It's time to just run the damn ball. I'll hang up. Well, Brady, uh, first of all, I want to point out Brady was a very good high school running back at Corbin High School. I think his last year was 2011. Uh, baseball teammate of mine. But, Brady. Kentucky's been running the damn ball, man. I mean, they just put up 408 yards last week. And last year is as close as you're ever going to get to a – and I know it wasn't the wishbone type, what, what you want to see, but in terms of just pure, just ground and pound, last year I don't think we'll ever be topped uh, in this modern day and age of college football. But what, what do you think, Sean? you think they need to switch it up at all? And, and get back? <laughs> I mean, no one runs the wishbone anymore, right? I mean, this is no. like a, a dead football I concept. Mean, I mean, the offense that they – uh, 
the offense that they inserted with Lynn Bowden last year. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was, I mean, it was a, a simple offense that just absolutely just destroyed college football. So, I mean, if they do decide to bring it back, Derek, I mean, are, are coaches and teams preparing for that right now? Probably not. What a hell of a game it would have been to have Kentucky line up in the wishbone versus Mississippi State's air raid tomorrow. <laughs> it just would have been great. We'll just completely. I mean, that, that's like the you know the air raid with Mississippi State. How many times do you see that offense? Like, yeah. I mean, it's not one of those things that. And two, this is not part of the mailbag. Does Stoops have an advantage that? He had it as part of his offense under Neil Brown that he maybe he understands the air raid a little more. And is this a is this a thing where these coaches talk, Derek? Does he call Neil, you know, and ask him for some advice on some things? Like probably better off calling his brother, who uh, Mike Leach actually worked for at Oklahoma. So I would say you probably I mean Snips pretty familiar, I would think, uh, with this type of defense, and there's no shortage of film uh, on Mike Leach's offenses. But with that in mind, it's been a very successful offense for uh, 20-something years now. And, uh, you know, it's not going to be easy for Kentucky to defend. And I know we keep bringing up the weather. It is a point to be made, although different forecasts vary. I mean, who knows how bad it's going to be. But uh, I would think Leach is – if you're Mississippi State, how could you not love this matchup coming in if you know you're going to be able to throw the ball against a team that is, is really reeling in the secondary on defense as a whole? Yeah, that I recorded the uh, Between Two Athletes podcast with Alex Montgomery and Steven Johnson this morning, and, and Alex was uh, he was pretty upset after that game last week because he actually predicted the, the defensive backs are going to decide this game. So he wasn't very pleased, Derek, about – the way the secondary played, and that's a group that he's looking at this week that you have an opportunity now to say, okay, it's time to get things right. Make a statement, get some confidence against a team that's wanting to throw it on you every single snap. Uh, now we have we have two basketball recruiting questions. And Derek, before we get into these, we, we need to say that we're going to have an episode, if all goes as planned next week, we're going to target somebody to come on and discuss the Kentucky basketball recruiting landscape because it, we've we've gone quiet here for maybe three weeks or so since Scott Clark set his commitment date and all that speculation. And then we lost Corey Evans from Rivals to the Oklahoma City Thunder, so he would have probably been on by now. But we got to find somebody else. But I'll, we'll ask these. Uh, they're pretty much the same thing. Basketball recruiting update speculation as you see things presently. And then the other one is how are things looking with Hunter Salas and Scott Clark any chance both become cats. Derek, I think we're both confident that one of those guys will at least be a Kentucky Wildcat, but I don't think it's far-fetched to say that both of them could end up Kentucky. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think my thoughts have changed very much um, from the last time. It's been about a month now since we talked about Sky when he cut his list. But um, if anything – my optimism based on what I've heard from people who cover basketball recruiting is that things seem to be going very well right now with Hunter Salas. So I couldn't tell you who's priority, who's the priority out of those two. I'm sure they would like to have both. Um, my thoughts are pretty much the same. I mean, if you get both those guys, I think it, it gets a little bit crowded back there. Uh, you don't tell, you don't tell both guys. No, or only, I mean, if Clark wants to come, I think you still take them. 
would UK lobby for him to stay in 22? I'm not sure. Uh, but Salas seems to me to be the guy. And it's already changed this year. I mean, we thought Bryce Hawkins would have already been committed by now. He would have asked us two months ago, and that's not happened. But uh, I do feel very good about Salas choosing Kentucky when it's all said and done. I, I do too on Salas. I do think that Salas will end up at Kentucky. I think that that has been moving I, there for a while. You know, Corey, last time he's on, he he said it didn't move as quickly as he had planned. But I do think since the last time we've had Corey on that things have moved in that direction. Derek, I'm going to say Salas 21, and I'm going to say Clark. Clark will actually announce October 22nd, so that's coming up. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if he does commit to Kentucky and stay and and say stay in 22. I do think regardless of where he's going that day, I think he might say he's staying in 22. Yeah, um, if that happens, that's probably the ideal scenario for Kentucky. Will they get that lucky? I don't know. But if I were constructing the roster for next year, and I think there's a more than decent chance that Askew's back. I think just adding Salas with Hickman already committed is going to be more than enough. And then for the other question, with just the general state, uh, we saw a new name pop up yesterday. It was reported uh, five-star shooting guard Bryce McGowan, who had been committed to Florida State, I think since January, earlier this year. He decommitted. You know, signing day is not too long off, but there were reports that Kentucky reached out to him. And, you know, he's another guard, but – you know, six foot six is what he's listed as. I think you could see him in that two or three range. So I don't think he really interferes much with what Kentucky would be doing at the point guard spot. How serious that end up being, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't. I don't. McGowan's is someone I was not very familiar with until he decommitted and UK reached out. He might have decommitted because he already had another school in mind. Um, but that's become a bit of a theme, though, Sean. Anytime kind of a highly rated kid decommits, you've at least seen Kentucky kind of kick the tires on these guys. You have, and and two, you see this every year where new names emerge. Uh, there will be names in the spring, Derek, that we not, we're not even thinking of right now that will be maybe for one of those final roster spots that we will hear, and you'll you'll know their name on Monday, and they'll probably be committed to somewhere by Friday, like those short recruitments. Well, heck, we saw that we already had one with Nolan Hickman a month ago or a month and a half ago where we didn't even know his name on Friday afternoon. And next thing you know, we're talking on him. We pretty much putting together a 15 minute podcast about him the next day. So Kentucky basketball recruiting, I do think that you're going to, their their class is going to start filling itself out here in the next, I think by the time Kentucky plays their first regular season game, that week of November 25th, 26th, somewhere through there, I think I think the class could have at least three commitments in it. So two people could at least join Hickman. I, Bryce Hopkins is still there. I know things are starting to wind down with him. So uh, I think that you'll have a clearer picture on exactly what's going on. And then you should have a really clear picture by the day Scott Clark announces his decision, whether it is 21 or 22, and if he's even a part of Kentucky's future at all. Yeah, and we know with the NCAA dead period that nobody will be allowed to take official visits before January. Uh, you might have some kids hold out hope. Uh, I mean, these guys are recruiting. I know Hawkins has taken a few unofficials to the U.K., but Hunter Salas, I mean, he might still want to take official visits, and he might be willing to hold out hope that at some point he's allowed to do that. So that'll be interesting to see. I'm sure U.K. would like to be in a spot where they pretty much know the the main centerpieces of this class are, are wrapped up. but you know, it's a tricky year with COVID and I don't know, but I got to think, I got to agree with you. I mean, I think they're going to have some guys added to this class before, uh, 
before the signing period begins. I think so, too. Uh, Derek, this has been another episode of Kentucky Daily. We'll be back for a post-game episode to give immediate reaction to whatever happens tomorrow night at Kroger Field between Kentucky and Mississippi State because uh, something definitely entertaining is going to happen. So you'll either be – we actually had somebody DM me this week, Derek, and say that those post-game episodes get him through the tough times. Well, for you Kentucky fans, I hope that you get to experience some good times this weekend because it would be different. And we want Derek and I want to see what it's like to actually talk about a win for once. So uh, hopefully tomorrow night I think we're all on board. Let's uh, let's not have to be negative. Let's uh, let's praise some of these guys that we've been questioning the last couple of weeks, and hopefully we have some good news to talk about, Derek. This has been another episode of Kentucky Daily. We'll catch you tomorrow. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.